are listening to the Massive Report podcast. Normally, I come up with some sort of dad joke intro or something, but I just want to say, after the last few weeks that my family and myself have had, that it's really great to see you guys again here Likewise. for the Massive Report podcast. I, I am so glad to be here. I missed you guys. A few things happened while I was gone, as it turns out. And uh, I appreciate your support and your kind words. And uh, my, my mother-in-law, who is truly a wonderful person, will be greatly missed. I mean, a lot of guys, Absolutely. That, you know, comedians have made their careers out of mother-in-law jokes. Mm-hmm. And that is not the case with me. She was truly a, a tremendous woman, nothing but kind to me from the jump. Even though maybe I didn't deserve it, I don't know. She probably she could have taken one look at me and turned up her nose, but she didn't. She was a great woman, and she will be missed. And I appreciate you guys uh, in your kind words. And I'm glad to be back here with you because I understand a few things happened while I was away. No. I did manage to watch the MLS Cup, and uh, Sam and I were talking. And I know you guys have been over this, but Sam and I were talking before we started recording, and. You know, I'm an edge-of-the-seat kind of sports fan. When my teams are in important match, or any match for that matter, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm jumping up. I'm pointing at the screen. I'm yelling. The dogs are like, what is this madman talking about? <laughs> really, this whole MLS Cup, I was just very calm. It, it was in control from the jump. And after a while, I was telling my wife, I go, if I'm an LAFC supporter, I'm wondering when my team's going to start when the, engage, they getting off the bus. engaging yeah. in this kind of important match. It was, that was the weird thing to me. It was about the 70th minute when they started yeah. to really get yeah, into it, was it. Too little, too late. I and wish it, I could have been like you. I was much more uh, like at halftime, for instance, we're in the Nordic. And at halftime, I just, like, sat down. <laughs> I needed to, like, take a break. And my girlfriend and a couple of the people around us were like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I just, it's been, it's been a half. Like, it was exciting. Needed. Don't get me wrong. And maybe I needed to be there. But I just felt like the crew had a, a, a stellar game plan. And they stuck to it. And LAFC ultimately didn't really have any answers for it. Yeah, and I, I think, too, I think for me, the moment where... The there were kind of two moments where I felt like a lot of the anxiety that I had building up throughout the entire week kind of leave. Um, the first was during Wise Men and the noise that that kind of created was that I don't know can't really put my finger on it exactly as to why that abated some of like my nervousness, but like I don't know it kind of felt. To almost like this kind of like emotional kind of tipping point where it was like there's just no way a human being can walk into that and not like feel like the pressure of it and so I felt like the LAFC would find that to be extremely challenging and and on the flip side of that uh, the crew would be kind of off and running like there was no doubt in my mind after the wise men that they were going to have like a really tremendous start. Uh, and I thought the whole first half, I was like, yeah, this makes perfect sense in the world. Um, but it was, the other thing was that 
like seeing kind of how everybody was just buzzing around in the first 15 minutes, it was like, well, this is they're, they're so far and away better than LAFC. Like the only thing that can weird that could happen is like if it if it was like zero zero, like in like the 70, 65, 70, 75, then you start getting a little bit nervous. But like those first 15 minutes, just the way that the, they ran around the field and kind of how it all looked, it was just like, yeah, there's no there's no way they're losing this game. And then they obviously did what they did. So, um, yeah. And then like after that, it was like in some ways it felt like in cruise control a little bit after the Yao go goal. I was like crew C R E W apostrophe S control. Exactly. Okay. So <laughs> the after the, like the Yao goal, it was like like they they could win this game like three four five zero if they really want to you know it, it just felt like they had every answer and lafc had none mm-hmm. um and outside of um and we said this in the pod last week like outside of jesus maria like maria like they had nobody on the field that could do anything which was kind of mind-boggling and yeah. i think that just speaks to how well the crew were playing it's crazy well, and and perhaps they weren't ready for the atmosphere they yeah. were also playing in december and the Midwest instead of in sunny LA. I was more nervous like Friday night than I was like when the game actually kicked off, which is wild to kind of think about. I think if you were to ask LAFC players at this point, um, and we talked about Steve Trondolo's comments last week, but like they play in a ridiculous atmosphere every week at home. So like, yes, it's not your home and the weather certainly a factor, but I don't think it was that. I mean, I agree with you, Brett. The everything about it was awesome and like pointed to the crew winning. But if LAFC, if this had been 2015 and LAFC had somehow gotten a goal 30 seconds in, I think the stadium doesn't get sucked out. the The atmosphere doesn't get sucked out as much as it did in 2015. Yeah. But you know, if things had gone wrong, if it's 2-0 the other way that quickly, all of a sudden, I think you're hearing the LAFC fans a lot more. I just think the crew, and I, I, I don't say this as a uh, negative to anything. I just think the crew were that ready to go, and and credit to those guys, and credit to Wilfred Nancy. I mean, every step of the way in the playoffs, you know, even in Atlanta when they lose bad, they still played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Like we came out after that show and all felt, or after that game and all felt like pretty good when yeah. they were coming home. He pushed all the right buttons. Uh, end of the season, postseason, um, and then obviously culminating in the final. And the crowd certainly played a part. I don't want to disparage that, but I do think. LAFC, you know, they play in Seattle a few times a year. They, they play at their home stadium. Um, so I think it was more what they were able to do on the field than, than kind of the atmosphere. But yeah. it certainly certainly helps, like you said, reassure you from the beginning of the game. It's probably, a, it's probably more about the boost that the atmosphere gave to the crew than any, like, intimidation or whatever there that might be in yeah. terms of yeah. LAFC. And I think that... That to me was like the biggest because it was very tangible. Like it was like it was just very obvious to me. Like you could reach out and touch it, and like, and um, and how it how it made me feel just as a guy standing there. Like as opposed to you know if I was you know walking out to to get that thing going on the field. Like I, I just would be. I, there you there would be nothing you could there would be no human being on the planet who would stand in my way and stop me of what I was going to try to accomplish if I was out there on the field and so and I think they all felt that um, and in a pretty dynamic way really fr- from the march like the march was probably the biggest I've seen since the opening of the stadium and that basically they marched in front of the bus for the most part 
until they got to the stadium. So there's that. Um, but also, the, the, I think what was really good is what I was afraid of is that after the emotional roller coaster that was FC Cincinnati, is that they would have a letdown, and mm-hmm. they didn't. And they actually came out, and they came out fast. And I think that once they came out fast, you're like, you, you do get that sense of like, okay, they're, 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 now, they're not letting down. They're actually riding high yeah. from that win. Well, I think we'll be talking about that FC Cincinnati game forever. I guess that was away for a long time. When was that? Was that like a month ago? The week before you, want, you want to hear something disappointing about the, the only disappointing thing from that game? So buddies and I went down. We stayed in an Airbnb. The next morning we get up. We actually are replaying the game or the highlights in our Airbnb. And two of us decided to get go online and buy the Eastern Conference Championship hats, the ones that they wore on the field after the game. So originally they were supposed to come like shortly, like within that week was what the original shipping date was. Then I get an email, moved back to December 22nd. Okay, fine. Then they cancel the order altogether. And I, they are not available online. You can't find them anywhere. I've been told by somebody that maybe the hat, there was something wrong with the hats. They apparently put the wrong logo on the hat. <laughs> well, they, they didn't put the wrong logo on the ones that they were wearing on the field. Right. And it's very easy to fix that because it's just basically You'd like a, so. a it's sticker. think so. a patch. I think part of it is they figure most people would want the MLS Cup hat instead because right. you could still buy the Western Conference Championship ones on there. But as my buddy and I were discussing, like this is a great thing to forever wear down to Cincinnati for yeah. those oh, games. Yeah. And now they don't have them. Uh, available, which is really unfortunate, and I'm pretty disappointed. I did get the, I did pay extra to get the MLS Cup hat at the game, so I didn't have to wait for that to ship. But I really wanted the Eastern Conference Championship hat. Um, I will say, as we were editing um, and doing stuff post game in the photographer's room, the um, MLS Cup champions LA uh, LAFC gear was still on MLS's website. <laughs> Just so you know, like there for there for a long time, if you remember the like the Greg Oden, Mike Conley era of Ohio State men's basketball team that lost in the national championship to, to North Carolina, um, when I was at, at Channel Four here in town back and back at that point, and we grabbed a couple of the Ohio State national championship hats while like the um, like while like the security people weren't watching, and so I believe. Um, I don't have the one anymore, but I think we at somewhere at NBC4 there is an Ohio State men's basketball national championship hat from 2008, maybe that obviously did not happen. But I'm always curious, like where are those, where do they even go? Like, do they? I believe third world countries. Well, yeah, I, crazy, wild stuff. Well, speaking of stuff to wear out in celebration, the parade was a week ago today. Uh, who attended? All right. That Give was your... Sam and I, for those people I that aren't here. Yeah. 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 As a host, I should point out show that of hands, hands in the media. air doesn't really work. So Sam and Murph, you guys went. Just give me your impressions. Um, you know, for a Tuesday at noon, there was actually more people than I expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it would, but if you, if you can picture the plaza the plaza was completely full mm-hmm. uh shoulder to shoulder and you can picture it because we have pictures we do have we do board. have pictures um, check them out and uh, it was it was fun it was like there was always that curiosity of like how are they going to do this because of the bridge situation over, which did become a problem which did become a problem i'm, I'm getting there 
the bridge situation over nationwide. Um, but they actually did these, uh, they got these like semi trucks. It was basically like a hayride on a semi truck. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there was actually three semi trucks because it was players, crew two players, their families, their friends, you know, things like that. There was a lot of floats is not the right word, but there was like participants, like some sponsors had. Uh, they actually had a tractor with uh, that was pulling a trailer that had the grounds crew on it. That was mm-hmm. cool. oh nice, yeah. Um, but yeah, there was some there's some, you know, there's speeches. Uh, all three cups were out there. Uh, Wilfred, we we saw. I think we saw a side of Wilfred Nancy that we might have not been expecting. You mean when he was dancing? When, when he was dancing and him and that Darlington. Was, that was pretty. No, we've seen Darlington dance, but Nancy and how he did the whole. Um, you know, that song has been stuck See, in my head for two weeks. That doesn't surprise me because when we score in any game, cut away to him, mm-hmm. he's always enjoying the moment. Yes. He is a man who obviously derives great joy from what he does. And this isn't him. To me, I don't take it as, well, see, I, with my little board, with my little magnetic pieces that we see on the sidelines, this isn't me and my magnetic pieces that I moved around. It's, it's like, this, you should enjoy your successes, big and small, because you worked hard to get there. And I just always love the joy that comes out of him. And it's never, it's never confrontational. It's never like, well, in your face. It's always just joy. Yeah. And so that doesn't surprise me that he was, had a few dance moves. You and know? It, definitely, it definitely showed in the parade, too, as he was, like, hanging over the side of, you know, one of the trucks. And I think his, his family was around him. Uh, but there was just this, like, big ear-to-ear grin on his face. And he's waving at everybody. And he's holding... Some sort of uh, spirited beverage. <laughs> well, this is uh, why he came actually, here. Everybody, they were actually throwing uh, cans of beverages from <laughs> the trailers. Patrick or, Schulte was throwing cans. Uh, Mr. Dante Washington was also throwing. Oh, okay, cans. I missed that. Yeah. Schulte was. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if White Claw gave him a sponsorship, but the dude had <laughs> a ton of them. He did chug one he right did. before his speech. Yeah. When he came in, so he and we can get into this a little more, but he came in to do the uh, interviews for the like, end of season the next day. Uh, he's the only crew player they brought in to do that, which I think speaks a lot about what they think of him. Uh, and I asked him, you recover from the White Claw hangover yet? And he's like, I'm okay. He's like, sorry that I don't have a voice. Though. <laughs> I was like, no, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, but yes, to echo what Sam said, it, it was pretty cool. I had been to one other championship parade my girlfriend and I went when the St. Louis Blues won. We just happened to be in St. Louis uh, shortly after they, they won the Stanley Cup a handful of years ago. And that was a madhouse. And, like, unless you camped out from early in the morning, you're standing so far back that you can't really see anything. And then from people that were at the Cavs parade, I've, I understand mm-hmm. that it was even more of a madhouse because of Cleveland and whatnot. It was, I, I was not there personally, um, but that... I still think if you were to ask anybody, especially anyone who lived in downtown Cleveland, like that was like a like a beyond like chaos. It was like that the the world broke contain, and it was a for for a, a couple hours. It was the best, most happy post apocalyptic kind of event that we'd ever seen in Northeast Ohio. Um, 
yeah, it was the Cleveland one was crazy. The but so you, the but you, the Blues one was like too many people or just like the way. Yeah, it was I mean it was just just all those. People I mean there. I think it's like most of the you know you see them on TV usually after the major sports league championships yeah. where just the sidewalks you know twenty people deep and you can see like the people up on the floats but you're so far back. And I've always kind of thought, well, you know, I mean, it's a cool idea to do, but it takes a lot of work if you really want to be a part of it. And then you have to decide, do I want to be at the parade or do I want to be at the end where they do the speeches and things like that? Well, this, because of just the general size of the fan base, which continues to grow and has been excellent. I don't want to disparage that. Like, we sat at Betty's, waited for the parade to come by, (laughs) went outside, watched it all walk by, watched walked over to the rally, were able to do the, I mean, it was just a perfect way to do it. And especially for, you know, a club and really a city, because I think the only other time they've done anything even close to this was when Ohio State football won in 2014. And, and that I was think like they did a parade. They did it around the around horseshoe, the show, and okay. then they went into the shoe and had like a thing in there. So it wasn't like down High Street, really, <coughs> as far as I remember. So like to figure this out, you know, quickly and have it come off. Um, I know people were upset that it was on a weekday, but I think that's the most norm. of them are. Yeah, you right. Know? You can't. You yeah. can't expect guys to hang around for another several days. You know, guys Especially when they have to get cut, like, you know, <laughs> right. hours yeah. later. I mean, Julian Gressel is celebrating knowing that he's not with the yeah. team anymore and, and things like that. Um, but, that, and again, this is true with all sports. Uh, but I thought they put did it really well, and it, I think everyone there had fun. You know, even people that at the rally were further back that I talked to said it, you know. It came off just as well there as it did up by the front. Well, I yeah. think you did it right. Mm-hmm. Pre-gaming at Betty's. That's, that's, yeah. a, well, that's a veteran move. Re- so Sam parked there, and I met Sam there. And my intention was to walk with Sam, who obviously needed to take pictures. And then I saw a few other people, and I was like, I'll meet you. And then I never saw Sam <laughs> again because yeah. two, two people started <laughs> buying me uh, high noons. Yeah. And uh, that was, you know. It was high noon. Then all of a always get you in That trouble. was just the start <laughs> of my day. I do yeah. want to point out that Murph is wearing a uh, 2021 jersey uh, 20. because it has the extra, the ex- the bigger star on top of the first star. Well, this was this the championship, championship one they wore oh, okay. after the yes. game. After the, oh, and they will be mind. selling, so I'm told, the, the gold ones that That's they wore after this. Yes. So uh, I realize that I never wear this. Like, there just isn't generally a good time to wear it and so i i felt like tonight was a good night considering what we were discussing i so i i i had kind of a different perspective i i hosted co-hosted spectrum's coverage of the parade um and uh you know it was interesting i going back and and looking at the you know the 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 three tv stations and how they covered it here in town um and then with us at spectrum um it, it was kind of wild. Like, I, I kind of had, like, a moment where, um, you know, I don't think the three local stations here in town, if there's a parade after, you know, the, the 08 MLS Cup, I don't think they cover it live in no. the same way they did. I don't no. think they do it in 2015. Not all three stations um, either. Uh, you know, if they win in 15, I don't think they do it. And obviously, even in 2020, I don't think it would have happened. But there was something about the way everything has kind of changed and grown um, with the club post-Save the Crew that it's kind of firmly on the local news and local sports radar now. 
in a way that like it always should have been in my opinion and that's i think that's a fair critique of of the sports departments from the three uh spots in town um that you know if we devoted 25 percent of the re- coverage you give to the blue jackets who don't really deserve <laughs> any of it uh, maybe maybe it would be a little bit better but um i to you know i, I was i was impressed with the 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 amount of resources that everyone gave and, and time and and all of that and so it was kind of a cool little kind of mile marker a little bit in in or or you know kind of landmark kind of thing that i think um in this kind of ongoing kind of journey of like columbus crew soccer and all these different eras that we're in hashtag taylor swift um <laughs> that like that references that the, other the day. um this new era of crew soccer that we that I've hinted at and talked about all season long because it just feels different. Um, like there are all the there are going to be all these like new things and these firsts and these kind of um, uh, opening new doors and closing old ones and and I think it was kind of just it was it was interesting to like you know see Dom Tiberi um, you know on Channel Ten talking about you know the Columbus Crew and. And and Clay and and then and Joe Nugent, the, the new sports director at Channel Four, like it was just and, and, and Whitney did a fantastic job at Channel Four as well. Like it, it's just you know, ten years ago that would have it would have been a Vosat in it had led the sports cat. Vosat is a uh, it's a TV term for a uh, it means a voice over V O slash Sot, which means sound on tape, so soundbite. Um, you know, it had been kind of this perfunctory thing, and now it is a you know it's a live kind of made for TV event. So. That was pretty cool to see, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. Have the crew passed the Blue Jackets now in terms of... The crew should have passed the Blue Jackets yeah. five years ago, as right. far as I'm concerned. And I think that's a fair critique of the of, of kind of the whole kind of hierarchy of Columbus sports um, in the local TV market relative to the amount of success that one team has gotten and one team seems entirely unable to grasp. Um, but if you I, probably not, I, you know, the, I mean, maybe that's a that's a maybe that's an off season conversation later. But, but with like, the, with with sports fans in Central Ohio, obviously, Ohio State is above all. But I would think in terms of just interest and buzz, they're I mean, still the, probably not close to to the Blue Jackets. You think so? Yeah. Which is, I I don't it, you know it's kind of this is like a kind of a good example of like like. You know, they all like there's like that kind of like that kind of commentary about Twitter not being real life and like it's only this very small percentage of the population. And I think we're all firmly ensconced in this warm, fuzzy, black and gold soccer bubble. And I love it, by the way. It's fantastic. Um, And then when you kind of like, you know, old bubble boy in Seinfeld, the moops, um, you know, if you peek your head out of that bubble and you look around and then you're like, they're. The Blue Jackets are still selling out, and there's I don't understand why. Um, like, you know, if 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 we're looking at like the the crew compared to like Ohio State football recruiting news, it's still probably like way 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 in second place. Like, can't confirm. And 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 Murph Murph could absolutely nod to that. Um, but the the thing I think that that's exciting for me is 
I feel very, and I feel very strongly about this, that I, that there are a lot of like the, and I'm going to call them the casuals, I'm air quoting. There are a lot of the casuals that are venturing into lower.com field for the very first time that never felt like they, that, you know, historic crew stadium and the last, the previous era of crew soccer was even worth their time. Those people are starting to venture into, um, you know, our kind of ecosystem, our, our, you know, little solar system here a little bit. And I think that's a large, largely a positive thing because I also don't think it means that we venture further away from why any and all any of us came here and are fans of this team and this club in the first place. I don't think it means that we're kind of venturing away from that. I think, we'll, I think you'll see that it'll still feel very authentic even though there are all these kind of new people you know, from the suburbs um, probably coming in and checking out the team for the very first time. And it, it feels like a lot of those casuals have become a little bit more invested, invested if we look at the news that came out two days later. Yeah, the sellouts and that they and sold out of season tickets. Of their, their cap of season tickets, we should clarify, their cap of season tickets. We don't know what that cap is. I'm guessing it's two-thirds. Um, of whatever capacity is, or it's over usually 50%. it's usually around, and I don't know this. If you look at it, if you look at the other leagues, it's about sixty to sixty-five percent is the amount. Yeah. Uh, the usually in terms of allotments for season tickets relative to stadium size, I would expect. I don't know this for a fact, but I would expect MLS to be basically the same. Yeah, so we're we're talking we're talking over ten thousand. My guess is probably twelve to thirteen somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. is, is my guess. So yeah, a lot of those casuals, even like coworkers, like people that I work with that know that I do stuff for the crew, um, are like, oh yeah, we uh, we had partial season tickets and we decided to buy season tickets, or we didn't have any season tickets but we attended a few games <coughs> and then we decided that we wanted to buy season tickets. Again, those are people that are casual of casual, and they're buying season tickets. Yeah. You didn't you didn't see that before twenty twenty. Well, winning will help that in the atmosphere. It's, I mean, Absolutely. the stadium, the, the experience is great, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say about the Blue Jackets at this point. Well, they're, they're playing. It's a good example. I think it's currently up two to one on Buffalo. So it's a, I think for, for me, it it's a good thing. It's a good thing of like, or a good example of like, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. Right. At all. So uh, you may mention to Julian Gressel being at the parade knowing that he wasn't going to be back. And so let's segue into what this roster is going to look like here in not that many weeks when uh, competition begins again. Who's here? Who's gone? What have I missed? What's it going to look like? Well, it's going to look largely the same. Um, I mean, they announced Evan Bush, which I think was a little surprising given – he talked about retiring this first year in Columbus. So was Molino. What? I said so was Molino. Oh, yes. Well, there's been some questions asked about whether or not that was triggered by the MLS Cup win. I've asked a couple people, and no one seems to be able to confirm that. In fact, most people have said, I don't think so, but I don't know that for sure. So I can't confirm or deny if that's true. I do know, and Brett, obviously, you can attest to this, he's a guy that's very well liked in the locker room and a guy that they think, if he can stay healthy, and you saw it in the playoffs, can contribute in some way. Now, salary is certainly interesting, given what he was making at least last year and picking up the option um, 
you know, likely doesn't change that very front, much. Front, from what I understand, front-end loaded contract, last option year a little bit less. Okay, so that's that's Which positive. makes sense. That's pretty standard yeah. in MLS. But um, they picked up him, uh, and Rudy Camacho was the other one. Again, maybe a little surprising given his age. Obviously came in and fit very nicely into the the Wilfred Nancy system in which he'd played in Montreal. So makes sense there. Um, but, I mean, you look at the starting 11 in MLS Cup, I mean, the the guys are back. Uh, and, you know, Julian Gressel being the most surprising name who won't be back. And on the MLS Super Draft coverage, they were talking about how he's likely headed to Miami where he would reunite with uh, his former head coach in Atlanta and add to the... Tata Martino. Yep, and add to the stars' names on that roster. But, uh, I mean, other than that, you know, players who... Um, you know, they picked up Schulte. They picked up Philip Quinton, Farsi Sands, um, Alex Matan, Sean Zawatsky. So players we all expected to be back again. Um, they are already under contract. We mentioned Bush, Amundsen, picked up Camacho, Shaburko, Keegan Hughes, Stephen Marrera, who signed a new deal, Yao Yuboa, Aiden Morris, Nagby, also signed a new deal about a month ago. Max Arfston, Cucho Hernandez, Christian Ramirez, Diego Rossi, Jason Russell Rowe. Um, Josh Williams, he told Michael Ares of the Columbus Dispatch that he plans to retire uh, after that season. He, this was about a month ago. So no surprise that he will not be back. Uh, Josh Williams, who I spoke to today and will probably come visit the podcast here. And, Good. And we'll not throw so him a retirement future. party. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, you know, Stephen Madranda, another one. Jimmy Jimmy Madranda, sorry. I was reading two things at once there. You're good. Uh, Jake Morris and Brady Scott were the other names that they did not uh, pick up. And so I think you're seeing... And, and, and t- Viasia's loan ended. Right, yes. Um, I think you're seeing, and, and Tim Bezbachenko stressed this when we spoke with him, they want the core to maintain continuity, and then they want to fill around... The outside, and I don't mean the outside in terms of players that won't see the field. It's not like they're just going to add depth, but the outside of, of that core that already exists with new players, um, some of which we've started to hear buzzing about. And uh, I think that makes sense. Who are some of these new players that you've heard buzzing about? So the the biggest one is that that we have probably a good bit of smoke and fire and yada, 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 is Derek Jones, um, who is is kind of an interesting um, player and story over the course of, um, you know, his kind of youth soccer career and then leading into the, the professional ranks. Um, uh He's a very um, distinct figure, huge, 6'4", and I think he actually probably pushes closer to 6'5", um, and is an, a, a, technically a D-mid, I would, I would probably say is fair to kind of refer to him as that, um, but does play uh, central defender as well, a center back, um, but is a super high, uh, high soccer IQ, very technical player. Played in the youth national team setup uh, pretty consistently as a teenager um, and then up into kind of the professional years uh, before kind of 
plateauing probably. I think he he's one of those guys that um, had a lot of uh, – like physical gifts in terms of the technical ability. And I think a lot of that stuff kind of came easy and was probably a smidge ahead of some of the other kids his age um, in terms of athletic ability. And then when people catch up, you know, kind of what do you do? Um, Well, a a couple different teams in his relatively short career. Uh, But in in my mind, he fits kind of the player profile that Nancy likes as a central defender, um, which is everything that we've seen so far in his one year, which is, um, you know, with the, probably the best example is Zawadzki going back there and playing central defender and them being very comfortable with that. This is a very similar kind of yeah. profile. Um, though I with do think more Sean, more experience. So I do think Sean is a, uh, Sean's floor is much higher in my opinion. And I think the ceiling is, there's no comparison there. So I think Sean's, um, a, a, a quote-unquote better player. But that's a really interesting addition because I think that the one thing that you can kind of point to that they struggled with at times, especially early on in the season, is depth at that position. And this is essentially a depth addition. Uh, uh, and where does he come from? Uh, Charlotte. He was in Charlotte last year. He's, okay. played in, he's been around MLS, uh, played at Minnesota, I want to say. How old a uh, guy is he? 20... I would guess probably 24 now, 20, okay. 23, 24. Yeah. Uh, Houston, Minnesota, and uh, and then most recently Charlotte, I believe, which is where I be- I think he's played the most. Yes. Um, given some of the turmoil that they've had there. Yeah. But. He grew up in Philadelphia. Well, he moved from Ghana, 14, grew up in Philadelphia, was part of the Union Academy. Um, so he started there, traded to Nashville. That's Spent a season there. Houston season there and then has been in Charlotte since 2022 Um, free agent one of those guys that I think everybody expected to bought a quote-unquote bought a lot of stock in him uh, in terms of kind of the punditry across the league and maybe falling short of some of those expectations but young um, young and I think there's a ton of upside with Mm -hmm. him well and I think that I, I as I was watching the, the coverage of the MLS Super Draft first round, which was excessively long, by the way, <laughs> um, good stuff. I mean, there was a lot of good information there, but just, I mean, it was longer than the NFL draft first round. Uh, the, they were talking, when they got to the crew, were talking about Wilfred Nancy and, and glowing in some of the similar ways we have, but also brought up, and this is something I don't think we've talked about as much, the, the way he helped take Darlington Nagby from a really good player in MLS to possibly the best midfielder in MLS. And maybe you could have argued Darlington was before, at least maybe the best American midfielder. But what he was able to do this year seemed to just be on a different level. And I think reflecting, I agree with that. And I do wonder, and you you, you start to look at what he identified in Steven Marrera moving positions and some other guys who maybe weren't going to get a chance, not only just with the crew, but... You know, guys, either young guys who weren't going to get a chance or, or some guys like a multi Amundsen who they were like, hey, we can do something with this guy who's kind of fallen out of favor in New York. And so I wonder if maybe a guy like this who's kind of bounced around a little bit, hasn't quite lived up to the hype, if he comes in and buys in, you know, if this is not, and I was told that they're certainly working on a deal, uh, but it's not a done deal yet, that this is a guy who could come in and, and if he buys in, could really kind of revitalize or, or maybe start to hit some of those milestones that maybe people thought, yeah. uh, you know. And look, 
you're going to need a lot of depth if you're going to really compete in a number of competitions next season. You know, LAFC, credit to them, played 53 games. Um, and, you know, perhaps part of the reason they never looked really into the MLS Cup final was because they played 53 games a season and the rosters are not expansive enough to really handle something like that. So you've got to figure out ways to do it. That'll involve making moves, uh, which they're working on, but it also involves using, they're going to need crew two guys to come up, um, especially in some of those competitions where in MLS, you obviously have the rules about that. You don't have those rules in those other competitions, as far as I understand it. So you'll be able to use those guys more if there's guys you like there. Um, There are a couple other names that they've been linked with. Um, Michael Ares asked Tim Bezbachenko in his sit-down, well, the dispatch sit-down with him about Marino Hinestroza, I believe I'm saying that correctly. 21-year-old midfielder, plays for Pachuca. I think he's more of a wide player, and, and Bez did mention kind of in an offhanded comment about, uh, you know, perhaps you find a couple more guys who can go 1v1 just to have differences. I think this may be a guy like that. He told... Ares, nothing is officially done with his Hinestroza, but we are working through it in terms of finalizing paperwork. It's well down the road is the way I would put it. He's a winger, a 7-11 who can come inside. He'd be a guy who can beat you off the dribble, has some speed, a different element to our attack that we don't have. He has the skill on the ball to play on the inside, but we'd put him more out wide right or wide left. So that's another one to kind of keep in mind. Um, in my conversations with Bez uh, last week, he mentioned that, and I thought this was interesting, that they view international signings in terms of guys that have never played in MLS before as having about a 50-50 hit rate. And so they are very careful on their homework on those guys. Interesting. And he said this in the context of Christian Ramirez and Diego Rossi, two guys who they brought from overseas but obviously had success in MLS before. And so they view that as... Now they've got interna- you know, experience playing internationally, but we know they can work in MLS. And then, you know, obviously you, fit, you, you find the fit in terms of style of play and, and locker room and all that. Um, so I don't think that they will be, like, super active in terms of international moves. I imagine there will be a couple. Um, now, obviously, you know, a guy like Cucho, if you're going to go that route, um, I know that, that they have looked at some attacking midfielders since Lucas left. Um, you know, if you were to go a, a, another DP route, and you certainly could because you could buy Darlington Nagby down in that role, um, you know, you'd really do your homework on a guy like Cucho, right? Because you don't spend that money and have it not work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you, you really double down on that. But I think keep an eye on the MLS free agency stuff. Um, you know, they, they've, they've got a great grasp on these guys around the league and, and whatnot. And we talked about it last week. I think more teams are going to try and play the way Wilfred Nancy plays, and that will mean the guys in the league that fit that system, and not everyone's will be exactly the same, but they will be at a bit more of a premium, and so you know they're going to have to you know, figure out a way to get the right guys in, which may be a little bit more difficult now that you've won. Yeah, it is. Uh, all sports are like that. It's like, hey, I want that. I want that shiny new toy. Yeah. Um, are we at all concerned that our manager is going to be plucked and shipped overseas. I don't know if I would go so far as to say concerned, because I think 
um, if there's hype surrounding a coach, um, especially one that I think is um, really demonstrating uh, like a, like a tier one kind of top one percent um, managerial ability, um, if there's any noise about departures, especially like say like if if Ligon is calling and France is calling, like it. Um, that means like everything here is going about as well as you could possibly hope for, and that's kind of really what that would be where my concern would lie. Um, but the you know what's interesting is I kind of think just a, a pure speculation on my part that there's something about the way Wilfried views the game that I think really leans into um, creating something that's beyond kind of like the actual play on the field and like it's more of like what can you create culturally in a club that um, is positive and gravitational and I think that if that's true which I think it is I think it actually then if you take it another step means he probably values continuity and longevity right that i don't think um i don't think you would feel think and feel that way if you were kind of hopping and skipping and and, and kind of always trading up um i just don't i just don't think those two things are true at the same time right well, so I would be a little surprised, honestly. If uh, the phone is absolutely ringing, if it hasn't already, it's going to start. Um, but the, I, I just don't necessarily see, um, given his comments and kind of the way he talks about it, I would be a little surprised if it, um, if there was like a really quick exit, you know, say between like ne- now and this time, uh, you know, next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pat, you were going to say something? Well, I just think it's important to point out he was in Montreal for a long time. Right. And, I mean, obviously he was he was only with the first team for part of that time with Thierry Henry and, and whatnot. But you know, continuity, I think, is important to him. And he wanted, you know, he set up roots in Montreal. And I don't think he leaves, A, if there aren't issues with kind of the front office and things like that, and if a perfect – you know, kind of opportunity to take a next step comes along. And obviously, you know, maybe someday I think that uh, he could be interested in going back to Europe and France or, you know, somewhere over there and kind of really testing his soccer acumen against some of the best in the world. But it would surprise me if it is anytime soon, especially given the way they've talked about things. Yeah. Um, and just kind of how they've set up this team in his image right now. If you thought that maybe he was a, a one or two year guy, maybe you don't make some of the moves you made or re-sign a guy like Camacho who, yeah. while a solid defender, may not fit into another coach's yeah. Agreed. You know, system in a couple of years. Mm. Well, speaking of managers on the move, after a year off, Caleb Porter has today emerged as the new head man in New England, replacing Bruce Arena. Thoughts? It was only a matter of time. I he was think. Going, yeah, he's coming back um, somewhere. And uh, he, they're set up really, really well um, in New England. The four-two-three-one that we know Caleb likes to play um, in New England looks 
pretty continuous in a lot of ways. Um, the uh, um, their outside back situation is actually really really good, and that was always something that I felt during his time here. Um, with not being able to keep kind of Milton Valenzuela healthy and then the right side being kind of a, you know, on the back end of his career, kind of Harrison Awful, that that was never really something they could make it work. And that was always like the missing piece a little bit. And one of the reasons why they had to rely on Darlington so much to create is because the, 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 some of the width was not, wasn't there. Not a, that's not the problem in New England. Um, the, he's going to have the budget too, which is something kind of crazy uh, to, to think about. Um, I would expect them to be really good right away. Um, uh, the, 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 the whole, that whole situation is just crazy to me. Um, you know, obviously, the, the Revs fire Bruce Arena for the violation of the MLS code of conduct, but that's kind of all we know. And then there's an investigation into the said violation and the investigation comes back of what about maybe a month ago yeah. that he actually didn't violate the code of conduct, but it already kind of got lost. But it already the been fired and already been yeah. let go. Wow. So now and now we kind of still don't really know why. Um, so I wonder a little bit about the room, right? The locker room and the the front office kind of situation there is, a, I would say, is maybe not the best. Um, so they, they, he definitely has his work cut out for him there in that regard, but they're still really good. Carlos Hill is still a top 10 player in the league. Um, Gustavo Bo, uh, which I think is going to be back. I don't know if that's a yeah, that's total set in stone thing, is still a really solid player. Um, and so we'll see. Uh, but I, I just think, you know, the, the guy's a proven winner. Um, the you know obviously with the two MLS cups one in Portland and mm-hmm. obviously the one here in town, um, that I, I just think that he'll he'll have them he'll have them kind of rock and rolling as pretty pretty darn quick and, and probably pretty quickly yeah. given mm-hmm. kind of the track well, record. Well, it's a good roster as you say. Yeah. This was kind of a lost season in air quotes, even though they made the playoffs. But it was definitely a bumpy ride for them. I don't think that going from Bruce Arena to Caleb Porter as far as style. And maybe not the the raw raw room guy, you know. It's a little more of adults and children. Uh, I don't think that that's going to be a big transition for this particular club, you know. Yeah, I would Caleb agree. Caleb Porter is not a warm fuzzy kind of guy, right? Personality wise, pretty similar. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, I do think they're there's maybe a little bit more leeway in terms of the my way or the highway a little bit relative to Bruce compared to Caleb. Um, and uh, I, I would love to be in the room when Caleb Porter and Bob Kraft are talking. I God <laughs> damn it, man. Maybe With, Bill Belichick to be, will be a there too. Fly, a fly on the wall when that that's going on. Got to be hella interesting. Um, and yeah, sign me up to, to ever have that opportunity. Um, but yeah, I, it was only a matter of time, as far as I'm concerned, for him to be back in the league. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've documented this. I've said this on the pod in the past. Um, you know, he and I uh, probably butted heads more than anybody. Um, but I also think, 
I, mm. I don't. Jacob Myers. Jacob probably did too. Um, and I think if Jacob was here, he would admit that. And I think if Kale was here, if not emphatically. Um, but I also think um, Caleb and I developed a relationship and a rapport that I don't also think too many people had. Um, I think Chris Dorn is probably the only other one, and that goes way his relationship with Caleb and Chris goes way, way, way back the Indiana to when, when Caleb was playing in Indiana. Yep. Um, so um, I have a lot of respect for the guy um, uh, as a person, but also as a coach. I, I think he, in a manager, um, the dude just knows how to get things done in MLS, um, especially in a pretty short um, kind of time frame. And I think the Revs are set up right now to be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I would expect them to uh, to be pretty successful pretty darn fast. Well, it's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. I, I, just to echo what Brett, Brett said, I'm happy to have him back in the league because, look, I think he, he can play that villain role really well. You know, you saw it at times out in Portland. We saw it firsthand when he came here with Portland, uh, some of the, the comments around MLS Cup. Um, and not necessarily, like, negative about Columbus or the crew, just – he knows how to say things to, to get his team fired up. And then we saw it even more firsthand, you know, him shushing the Cincinnati crowd. Yeah. The league needs, you know, you like your Wilfred Nancy's, who we've talked about in terms of, you know, the way he's handled everything. And, and you need that. But you need Caleb Porters, too, because you can be successful both ways, obviously. I mm-hmm. think there's, 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 I'm, I cannot wait. I am so excited to see the Boston sports fan embrace the Caleb Porter edge. I think that that is either it's it's going there's there's going to be no like there's no wishy-washy gray area. That is either going to be the best possible relationship you could ever imagine where it's us against the world and your you know New England accent or you're going to see some chaos and some fireworks. I would lean, I would put all my money on it working really, really well. Because yeah. they're going to like the, that, that fan base and that club, which has always been really good and then collapsing at the worst possible times. They've lacked the edge a little bit. Even during the Twelman years, like, there were some goons on those Revs teams that you know they they, they they would go and they'd kick you and they'd try to influence the refs and they they'd out they try to out physical you um but like they lacked like kind of the quality like the technical quality the tactical kind of acumen now they have that and also they got a coach who's not afraid to stick his face in there and 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 and, and, and be a little bit kind of edgy so i mm-hmm. think they're really gonna like what they have um I would if 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 this was a, a New England Revolution podcast, I'd be like, yeah, that's the guy you want right now. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and I I remember talking to him after it didn't work out here, and he had no concerns about finding another job. And I think from conversations we had since then, that had there had he wanted to, there were other opportunities. Um, you know, his I think he took a year to kind of enjoy family stuff. I know he co- was coaching his sons, one of his son's teams here. They, you know, they stayed in Columbus. Yeah. Um, they, I, I believe they live out. That would have been interesting. Go to those games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And I, I think it's a different Caleb Porter when he does yeah. that. From I have a buddy who coach, coaches in the club with him and, and, you know, you don't get as fiery of a Caleb Porter. Though I still think, I did watch him at one of the mini pitches 
yelled his son for dribbling too much <laughs> in this game with 47 children on this tiny little field. Um, but yeah, he was never worried that he would. You, if you win in this league, you're going to continue to get opportunities, yeah. and he's done that both jobs he's been at. And you know, say what you will about how it ended here, but I think what they were a total of three points in two years from being in the playoffs. Yeah. Both, you know, all but one of his seasons, and you know, you're not in, so that's what happens. And, and had some horrible, horrible luck in both of those years. Yeah, and uh, absolutely horrible. Which, by the way, the soccer gods rewarded this year because the Columbus Crew in 2023 basically had everything bounce their way. And I think yeah. in large part because of a lot of the shit that happened in 21, and absolutely in 2022, yeah. uh, did not go. Yeah, and and let's give you know not that we need to redo Caleb Porter podcast, but. Let's give credit where credit is due because that 2020 season was difficult for those guys. Oh, yeah. Everybody involved. I mean, yeah. it, obviously that year is difficult for everybody and whatnot, but you know, I know people talk about, like, asterisks because there were championships in a bubble and things like that in, in the 2020 seasons. But to, to make it through that, these guys sacrificed even more than they normally do. And, you know, you... Yes, they caught some breaks in the playoffs, not having to go on the road, um, but they put themselves in a position where that could happen, and they took care of business. And, you know, I think we'll all remember that championship run, that, that season very fondly, even with everything that was oh, going on. Oh, it meant so I've, much. I've, I've always said that, and I, I've said this, I don't even know how many times, it was one thing to lose Darlington Nagby, for MLS Cup due to yeah. what we found out later was COVID. At the time, they weren't really sure. Um, and then, obviously, Aiden starts, and Aiden does what he does. But they also lost Pedro Santos that year, who, in my opinion, was the linchpin and the only thing that held it together for a long time. Pedro doesn't play in that game. And Luis Diaz starts. Derek Etienne starts. And, or I don't know if I don't. Luis might not have started. Yes. I can't, did Luis start he had the first assist? But Derek, Derek comes into that game and rewards some of the faith that they had shown it through, you know, to him throughout that entire year. And then obviously you kind of saw the back end of that and what Derek was able to do in 2022. Mm-hmm. That they knew they had a he had a really good sense of like where the team was, kind of person to person, individual to individual. But to lose D and Pedro. And then to be able to slot a pair of guys in that were pretty wild question marks as far as I was concerned, that showed a lot of maturity and a lot of faith in them. And then they obviously rewarded, rewarded um, everybody with a championship. So, um, you know, I was the what they did in MLS's back, in my opinion, was like one of the smartest things I had seen in a long time in terms of kind of having a real sense of what the locker room can and can't do um, and like what was best for them. Right. It was like. If you look at the group stages of MLS is back, remember that those group stage games counted in terms of points of the season, but in the knockout rounds, it was nothing. It was dog shit. And so they were like, well, here's what we want to do. We want to win those three games in the group stage, play as well as we possibly can, and then if we lose or uh, win the, 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 uh, the, 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 those three games, and then if we get into the knockout stages and we lose, that's kind of fine. We get some time off. That's exactly what basically happened. Yep. And in the Minnesota game, when they got knocked down, and they they played pretty well in that game as well. So I thought they just did a really good job. They fit all the pieces. They pushed all the buttons, they, the right buttons that they needed to push. 
and I would expect him to be able to do that uh, with the revs in a relatively short time frame as well. By the way, uh, Minnesota and the crew in these tournaments, not a good matchup, as it turns out. Mm. Um, <laughs> the League's Cup this year, yeah. MLS is back. Yeah. Uh, Owen won. Or two now, I guess. Yeah. So uh, the, do we still call it the Super Draft? The MLS Super Draft, yes. It is that was still. today, apparently. It was today. Uh, they don't make a big deal out of it, do they? No. It, so, Wild how that much is. So it's right? funny, and it's funny that we're talking about Caleb right before this, because both Greg Berhalter and Caleb Porter, maybe like the only thing that those two guys would have agreed on um, was that they didn't care for the Super Draft anymore. They thought that there was not much value. And I remember Greg's first year, maybe his second year, talking about like you know they did a little scouting on some guys but they were just going to kind of see and you know they may pass on a pick which i think greg did a couple times later yeah in, in the second or third round um but the, the you know the talent there they both preferred if they were going to play young guys to have it be academy kids because they've been in professional environment and, and you know all sorts of things so now you have wilfred nancy who has taken a patrick schulte as the primary example um, and turned him into the starting goalkeeper and an MLS Cup winner. And he was interviewed today as, like, the crowning example on the MLS's Super Draft show. Um, I think, looking at the background, pretty sure he was down in Florida where he said he was going to go hang out with some friends. So props to him for putting down the White Claws for a few minutes to do that <laughs> interview. Uh, but uh, so I just, you know, again, you can win in different ways, right? And... What the crew have done with Wilfred Nancy and, you know, shift in Tim Bezbachenko's thinking, or at least an outward shift, maybe he always felt this way, um, was, you know, it's recognizing where value comes from, right? And in the Super Draft, if you can find guys that you can, you know, even if they're crew two guys that maybe you're not going to play a ton, but you think there's something there and you develop them, those guys are pretty cheap. Yeah. You know, look at what they did with getting rid of Aloy Room, and now you open up a bunch of money, and you have Patrick Schulte here, and he just won an MLS Cup. And so, look, I, I, I would probably lean more towards the Caleb Porter, Greg Berhalter way of thinking because I do think there's not as much value, not as, not as much talent in the college game that isn't already associated through academies. But if you do your homework and if you're willing to put forth the effort, and they have done that with Crew 2 and, and Corey Ray, the Crew 2 general manager, um, who spoke on a Zoom call after the draft. Watch that video on the Mass Report YouTube page. Uh, you can still find some value there, and they have recognized that fact and are going to, uh, going to use that. Who have we taken? They took... I have it pulled up here. In the first round, with the 29th pick overall, <laughs> uh, they took forward Jaden Da from Duquesne. He is 6'4". Uh, listed 190 pounds, but uh, looks like a target forward type. I mean, certainly with you know potential to you know f I think follow that Jason Russell Rowe path. He's obviously bigger than Jason Russell Rowe, but I think they've recognized the value in having a guy like that and Christian Ramirez, who's not quite that big. But um, so yeah. I think all these guys are probably Crew Two candidates. But they took him in the first round. They took. Midfielder uh, Zach Zengui, is that how you say it? He is the brother of Xavier, who was already on the Crew 2 roster, was a draft pick a year or so. Uh, 
and out of Georgetown, which was where Sean Zawatsky went to school. Uh-huh. And then in the third round, with the last pick in the MLS Super Draft. Oh my God, I've been I've been drafted. UC Irvine goalkeeper Luke Prutter, I believe. Um, Pruder. Pruder, maybe. Uh, which I think is interesting because not only do they have Patrick Schulte, Evan Bush, obviously, at the end of his career, but uh, Lapkus is the Crew 2 goalie who they like a lot. And he played really well this he year. He did. And play, fits the way they want to play. And they've got a couple academy kids who have practiced with yep. at least the, the Crew 2 team and maybe even the first team at times. Um, so... You know, maybe this was just value. You know, a guy they'd had on their uh, on their board, but you know, they're certainly not hurting for goalkeepers. What is UC Irvine's nickname? Sand Nats. The Ant Eaters. I knew it was something. Oh, weird. you were close. Somewhere. UC Irvine Ant Eaters. Uh, maybe Duquesne's nickname. The Dukes. Dukes. They are the Dukes. Yeah. Dude. So I had to look that up. Duquesne's interesting. So NEC soccer, Northeast Conference soccer, is actually in my opinion, like kind of underrated. Um, so some decent competition there. Um, the, w- w- you know, I, I kind of think that the, the draft is cumbersome now because of, of the, the homegrown rules plus academy plus discovery rights and how all of those three kind of things work um, relative to how you kind of go out and cast your net uh, to, to catch any, any kind of projects, right? Add in the fact that you have international roster restrictions. Um, and if you look at Division I men's college soccer now, like the best players are, the best players in D1 men's soccer right now fall into one of two categories. You are either pretty tied in a one to one relationship with some MLS academy. Or you're from Brazil and came up through the Corinthians Academy. And that, that's pretty much it. There aren't a ton of guys in the middle. In fact, by not a ton, I mean like basically zero. Um, and that chasm, that gap is only going to get wider as MLS Next Pro continues to grow. The UPSL stuff that, that we're seeing some, of, some more emphasis on, the crew obviously having their new team now. Um, I've said this in the past, like, the, the Crew 2 and MLS X Pro, all that's really great, but it's, uh, I do think it kind of cannibalizes college soccer in mm-hmm. maybe not a great way. Um, but the thing that I think is interesting is the developmental opportunities for guys coming out of college to dr- drop into an MLS Next Pro situation is way better than anything we've ever had in the league prior okay. to the last two years. And so I don't know how much value it is in a long-term sense because you need guys to develop at, like, basically a vertical line in terms of project- projections. Um, and I don't think that's really possible. Um, do you, and, uh, with a field player, I think it's possible for, for a keeper, for sure. But, like... There's no way, and like I think Max Arfson is a great example of a guy who showed flashes, right, but could never really get on the field. That like, yeah, there's some talent there. The floor looks pretty high, um, but like, you know, we can go and snap snag someone from anywhere, and it probably is going to be a lot better. Yeah. But 
I do think there are some developmental opportunities that I think is interesting. So I'm really going to be keeping an eye on what the draft looks like in the next, say, like three to five years and what how that kind of feeds into next pro. And then what do we see coming out of next pro and in, in, in influencing and kind of touching the first team? They did make some changes where now you don't have to be a senior in order to be eligible for the draft. Well, you couldn't, you never had to be a senior. What they're now allowing you to do is going back to school, yeah. yes. like professional baseball. You don't but have to sign the contract. Hockey does this too. Yeah. Yeah, okay. right? And yeah. They, yeah. they did say that if you, yeah. if you choose to go to like preseason, then you're basically kind of okay. Well, there are a couple guys. There are a couple like the Wake Forest had a couple kids last year get drafted in the first round that went back to Wake, yeah. right? The, Clemson had a guy who did it. So this kind of started with the COVID year because yeah. the crew, the uh, I, the names escaping me, the defender they drafted that year from Clemson. Yeah, they were allowed to go back that year because they were playing in the spring essentially, and so he took another year before he actually joined the team and played for Crew Two. Okay. Well, super drive. Is it over or is there more? It is over. It okay. is done. All right. Three guys. All right. We'll see what happens with them. Um, so the next time the crew will be playing will be in March. Probably late February. Probably late late Febu- February. So will those be preseason games or what's no, the calendar the, looking like? I believe they may even play earlier than that, depending on what the Champions Cup schedule looks like, because the MLS schedule, Don Garber said at. Uh, his State of the League address before MLS Cup is expected to start in late February, which I believe is what it did this past Last season. week of February. Yeah. 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 Um, so the Champions Cup games may even get going earlier, though they crew, because of winning MLS Cup, have a bye. First round will play either St. Louis or Houston, so that may fall into right after the start of the season. Yeah, it's, okay. it's very, I, from what I've heard, the possibility is that opening week is the 24th of February. Wow. Um, because then the crew play the winner of Basically St. Louis. two months. Yeah. The crew yep. player, the winner of St. Louis or Houston um, on the 6th away and on the 12th at home. Okay. Per what the what they showed uh, on February the, or March? March. 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 It's, it's almost always been the second week. Usually yeah. there's yeah. an opener, season opener, and then CC. Yeah. The, 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 league, the competition now. formerly known as CCL. So camp uh, is going to open when? Well, so it's interesting, and they will have the shortest offseason because of requirement of how long players have to be out, but also the amount of time they need for preseason. So they are basically going to have the minimum time allowed because of the way this works uh, in league history. So they should start, I would say, probably mid-January, wow. I would guess. <laughs> That's um, nothing. No. I mean, it's... These guys are... It, it I was hope one, they've had enough recovery It time. was one of the things Patrick Schulte said on the MLS Superdraft coverage that was the biggest adjustment for him as a professional player was you go from playing three months out of the year to essentially 11 months yeah. out of the year. You have one month off, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah. The... That was always like the, the the hardest thing for us, for me as a when when during the TV broadcast years, was like how quickly you turn the page from one season to the next, and how f- like you went from like the end of the year and playoffs and whatever that might have looked like to like okay wh- where's preseason going? Holy shit, that's a month from now! Like that like. Being able to like put it away and like you know kind of 
take a step back and stuff. Like that's just not an example, like an opportunity um, or an option, right, for for these guys now. Um, the and I I think it's you know maybe the season's probably a, a month too long. Yeah. Um, if only there was a Mado competition that you know we pause the league for an entire four weeks that maybe that if that goes away we don't have this problem um but uh but leaks cup look at all who's going to come to columbus in july of 2024 how awesome that's going to be um but the uh the biggest thing i think that's that the lack of basically the lack of off season is that the continuity Normally, I think that would be a problem. Like, if this was like a still project and like you know you're turning things around in a quick quick time frame, that would be an issue. But the fact that like presumably the starting eleven from MLS Cup is going to be the starting eleven for the season opener of the 2024 season, which by the way has not happened in MLS that I can see that I've gone back and looked at for like a decade um, in terms of continuity from a championship winning team to the to the to the following season. Um, I kind of think you'll, they'll pick up right where they left off. Um, and I would expect preseason for them to be very, very light. Um, the, whatever the Sun Cup is out in Tucson and then maybe to Fort Lauderdale for that, um, the, the, what we used to call the kick and giggle um, competition down there with the Charleston Battery and the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple other kind of Florida, you know, are at arm's length adjacent um, you know, to professional league kind of teams. But, um, yeah, it's going to be one of the weirder preseasons for some of the guys. Uh, and, the, yeah, the, I hope that they're able to put it away and just relax and enjoy it. But there, there's something about, like, the looming deadline being a little bit quicker than you maybe would have liked that I think is always kind of frustrating on some yeah. level. Well, I guess we'll reassemble sooner rather than later to talk about the 2024 season. Yeah, well, and we'll have, I think as, we haven't done this as much in the past, but I think we should, you know, when there is news of substantial news, sure. get together and, yeah. and do this. I mean, we like each other enough at this point. Enough. Yeah. And and we're, especially if Bart's not here. We're working, we're working well, no. behind the scenes to possibly get some um, other interviews. Some interviews. Yeah. Yes, we'll have you some know, guests. In the off season. So. There's some stuff cooking. So yeah. stay tuned to Massive Report, Massive Report Podcast. And, uh, you know, we're at our super secret bunker location this week because it's what, Crochet Club at... Uh, it's Knitting Club. At, at, at Knitting Club at Saucy. So that kicks us out on Tuesdays, which is awesome. So we'll be back there, and we thank Saucy Brew Works for all their support. We thank you for all your support, and you can show more of that with a like and subscribe to the Massive Report Podcast. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, Happy, 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 Joy, Joy. And we'll talk to you soon. And in the meantime, enjoy that MLS Cup, that third star on the jersey. And we'll talk to you soon on the Massport Podcast. Podcast.